This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what are Ukrainians feeling as the war shifts from the north to the east? Stefan Berko, advocacy manager with Dijer Foundation, shares Ukrainian pride over the defense of Kyiv, but sorrow over the tragedies unfolding across the country. Fred Fox joins the shift. Terry Fox's brother to tell us about a new campaign to celebrate the Marathon of Hope. We hear about Terry's legacy, what Fred remembers about his brother's marathon, and we get a look into the mind of one of Canada's greatest heroes and his journal. Plus, are you okay with sexy romance? Novels. All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for Are You Okay With? Are You Okay With Romance Novels? Mm. Nah, I've never... I actually sat down and read one. I did watch Twilight, and uh, it's so bad it's good, you know? So at least romance novels gave me a terrible movie franchise that I can laugh at, so I can thank them for that. But no, I have not read a a steamy novel. Some of them are pretty (laughs) softcore. I've heard. How do you you know? Do you you read some? (laughs) Well, no, I've read I've read books before, and some not I've never really got into the real soapy ones, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I've read some novels before, and you're like, whoa, this is like well described detail of the whatever whatevers. Yeah, yeah they're not really in my wheelhouse for reading. I can't say I've ever actually read one. I remember my uh, mother used to read Danielle Steele when I was mm-hmm. a kid, and I believe Ooh, that was name. yeah romantic. Romancy mancy stuff. Um, however, romancy mancy. Yeah, not in my wheelhouse. I, and when I do read fiction, it's more of like existential dread, surprisingly. Surprisingly. Yeah. Wow, really? Yeah. Hmm. Who'd have thought? Well, I know. Do you ever think you could write a romance novel? Are you romantic yes. enough to write all the sexy? I think I could do it. Well, yeah. <laughs> what would your romance novel sound like, Ryan? First, well, I want to get BK's romance okay. novel, but I want right. to get. Ryan's romance novel. I think that I, I have an idea of what it might sound like. Kep. Jonathan stares deeply into his Star Wars movie collection sitting on his shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Sandra walks in, looks him dead in the eye and says, would you like to watch Star Wars? There you go. That's it. That's, That's it. a romance right novel there. right there. Done. See, I thought it would be like um, Jonathan uh, cleaned his shoes set them on the table next to the Star Destroyer. And uh, what was the girl's name? Sandra. Sandra walks in the room. She pushed the Star Destroyer off the coffee table and said, take me now. And Jonathan got up and said, what are you doing? This is my Star Destroyer. This is a novel, not an autobiography, okay? (laughs) BK, what would your uh, sexy novel sound like? Well, I'd be inspired by, um, this is going to be smart people talk, Emily Bronte um, never actually had a a relationship in her life, never really talked to other people. Um, Now, I haven't been like Emily Bronte, I've had experience. However, um, 
she wrote one of the arguably one of the greatest what they say is romantic love novels of all time in Withering Heights and she somehow did it with no personal experience and this was back in a time before the internet so she I don't know how she did it she just envisioned what she thought it would be like I guess and wrote it down so So, yeah you can BS your way through one I'm sure sure (laughs) BS your way through it a romance novelist is now on trial for something she wrote about in great detail what was the topic how to murder your husband. Okay. Oh. Wow. That's, wow. Nancy Crampton Brophy, 71, has been accused, been accused of fatally shooting her husband, Daniel Brophy, 63, in June of 2018. She was arrested and charged with the murder three months after his death. Uh, this is according to the Associated Press. However, despite the title of her essay, a judge has ruled the online post can't be presented as evidence against her. This is from 7 News. This is Nancy Brophy and her husband, Daniel, in happier times. Now she stands accused of murdering him. A witness in court has described the traumatic moment he was found dead. I was just panicked and, you know, trying to get help. I just remember going down that hallway yelling, chef, chef. Incredibly, years earlier, Nancy wrote an essay on killing a spouse saying, as a romantic suspense writer, I spend a lot of time thinking about murder and consequently about police procedure. After all, if the murder is supposed to set me free, I certainly don't want to spend any time in jail. Oops. Wow. (laughs) Some things, it's okay to use your inside voice. Be careful what you write. you think. Right. I'm always terrified that I'm going to say something on the radio that's going to come back and bite me in a courtroom one day. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I feel that. On her... <laughs> oh, that's a bit of an inside joke. On her author's website, but it was a funny one. All you need to know is that was very yeah. funny. On her author's website, her biography reads that Crampton Brophy was married to a chef whose mantra is, life is a science project. As a result, there are chickens and turkeys in my backyard, a fabulous vegetable garden which also grows tobacco for an insecticide and a hot meal on the table every night, she wrote. For those of you who have longed for this, let me caution you. The old adage is true. Be careful what you wish for. When the gods are truly angry, they grant us our wishes. Wow. <laughs> but, but what did they what was the wish that was granted? That she killed him? Or that she wanted him dead and that was the thing? Don't write about killing your spouse. In fact, yeah. please don't kill your spouse. Let's just start there. Let's just reduce the murder, and then the book writing is not a problem, right? The book writing is only a problem if you murder. So you, if you just chop this off at the, you it, the mur, the mur, don't kill people. Can we just all agree? Yeah, I, hands yeah, up. We can agree I, on yeah, that. Just, hey, just, I agree. I would, yeah, I would say just stick, stick to softcore, right? No, yeah. Sexy, write the sexy. Yeah. That's yeah, it. If that was just romance. a not horror. If that was about the husband who pushed the star destroyer off the table, mm-hmm. you know, and spilled the $11 latte, that would be See, that would be okay. There's no court case there. Maybe that actually could result in um physical harm. Anyway, are you okay with 
accidents. I had one today. You did? What was, what was your accident? I did. Oh, I'm a bad dog, Dad. Oh, oh no. I was getting um, I was getting ready for a meeting, and I had a nice. It was just early in the day for me, and I had a nice big cup of nice warm coffee, and it was sitting on my desk here, and I was just tidying up and getting ready for my meeting because it was a business meeting, and I wanted to be all ready and stuff. And I turned and I s- kind of swept my hand, and my mm-hmm. coffee cup was right on the edge of the table, Uh-oh. and the coffee spilled the whole cup of coffee on the doggo. No. Yeah. Is she okay? Like, yeah. Oh, she is wow. perfectly fine. Uh, <laughs> okay. It was mostly on her legs, and then she was licking her legs, and I was like, "Don't lick your legs. You're yeah. already crazy." I didn't want her to get caffeinated high. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I had an accident like today. She's dog. okay. The, the the cup didn't hit her. The cup hit the floor, but. And the coffee wasn't too hot. I'm assuming. Yeah. But she didn't. Re- she reacted and ran away. But, I mean, I think it was more startled from the cup. And then she seemed to enjoy yeah. the coffee on her paws. Mm. So, apparently... a uh, new habit there now. She's... I might have. And she's been, like, oh. wild all day. So... She needs her $7 for Happy Lappy. Yeah, she's turning her into what Ryan. Doing? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan O'Donnell. Ryan. <laughs> so... Uh. Accidents? Any accident stories it, that come to mind? You know where you I share? am okay with accidents is if I'm going to a demolition derby, I'm okay with mm. them there. Because I was trying to think. I was like, are you okay with accidents? I don't know if anyone would be, but in that case, yes, I would be okay with accidents. Demolition yeah. derbies. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Demo mm. derbies are, are fun. I, uh, I accidentally spilled half a container of raspberries on my floor about five minutes before this segment started. That wasn't fun. That makes oh. me sad. I like raspberries. I love raspberries. Me too. But I, I find that, like, you know, sometimes, I mean, like, clumsy accidents, which I am prone to, but, you know, big ones in life sometimes can lead to really cool things. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. None's coming to mind, yeah, but the, the happy I know there have been, for sure. Happy accident. I had a happy accident today. Oh. Um, I found a raspberry seltzer. You knew you had a wild day today. I did. Yeah, you're all, Wow. Yeah. Anyway, um, accidents happen, but what if an accident, one simple little mistake, led to millions upon millions of dollars? Now, there's some happy accidents like penicillin or chocolate chip cookies, but this one is different. A woman in California is now a millionaire, a milli, a milli, a milli, a millionaire, thanks to a stranger making a goof. Old saying goes, I'd rather be lucky than good. Well, luckily for Tarzana's Lakedra Edwards, it turns out she was good with a mistake that led her to winning $10 million in the lottery. After putting $40 into a scratcher's vending machine at a nearby Vons, Edwards was bumped into when she was about to start selecting which game she wanted. Well, the physical impact of the stranger bumping into her caused her to accidentally push the wrong number on the machine, meaning the number she didn't intend to push. Well, down, uh, dropped the money for, for the tickets she had no intention of buying, but all's well that ends well because Edwards scratched off the game's top prize of 10 million 10 million dollars i would rather be lucky than good at anything i do wow (laughs) i love tv like that she could almost get a house here in vancouver yeah right 
basement suite anyway. Yeah. Um, that's from ABC7. I'm still in shock, she added. All I remember saying once I found out how much I just won was, I'm rich. The supermarket received a $50,000 bonus for selling the winning ticket. According to the news release, Edwards plans to use her money, her winnings to buy a house and launch a nonprofit organization. Aw. Very American. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, don't Except do that. The taxes. She doesn't get what? She'd only she only end up with probably on. like, probably get like maybe like six or seven after the taxes. Yeah. And I don't think I don't know the get number. it all in, at once in America either. I think you get it in kind of Very installments. Weird. I think it depends on the state, but I think you get it in installments. Well, here in Canada, you just kind of get it all. And then you yeah, spend yeah. it all. And then you spend it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with microphones? Ooh. Yeah, I think we have yeah. to be, don't we? we yeah. yeah, we really do. I want mm-hmm. I want one like Shane has. Shane's got, you can't see it. We can see it on the Zoom call. Shane's got a fancy arm, uh, you know, stand for his microphone so he can hang it over his computer and move it around. You can like have this one. I don't arm. want this one anymore. I want oh, like one I you gladly have. take it. I want, a st- I want I, one that comes up the bottom. Well, like I'm just this. literally holding mine in my hand. Like that, it's just, yeah, I need that. I need what you yeah, have. Upside down. Okay, it's all yours. Sweet. <sighs> microphones are good. They're <laughs> handy. Um, you know, the thing about microphones is that people often use them at the wrong times on social media. Like you see people holding them in weird ways or they hold the, yeah, I love the people that are at the grocery store having a conversation with their wired headphones and they're trying to be inconspicuous, but it's like they're pacing because they're important, but they're holding the, 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 the cord from their headphones in front of their mouth and they're like holding it right here. And their pockets are But everybody else can hear them. I think that's weird. I mean, as a lifelong sound guy, bad mic technique is always something that's really bothered me. You know, like bad mic technique. Not a big fan. Yeah familiar with that mm-hmm. um well we use them all the time here the uh trusty transducer which is what it is by the way transducer is anything that basically turns electrical signal into sound or sound into an electrical signal both ways speakers same thing very cool science in our world it matters it matters what kind of microphone you use all those kinds of things Every radio show needs a microphone, otherwise it gets weird. We've tried to do uh, segments without microphones because sometimes things break. This story, though, includes a climate activist in the UK deciding to make a microphone his prime target. Took out his frustrations on a microphone. So imagine this. 22-year-old Nathan McGovern was glued to a microphone for an entire interview. Glued. Literally glued. Here's my crush. CNN's Jeannie Moss. Climate change activist Nathan McGovern put glue on his left hand during an interview on British radio LBC. You have a massive platform. You have a massive platform, right? Oh, here we go. McGovern accused the media of not using their megaphone to warn against fossil fuels. For those of you listening wondering what the banging on the microphone was, Ms. McGovern has apparently, I think, is, is it glue? You seem to have glued Absolutely. yourself to the microphone, so that's fantastic. McGovern belongs to a group called Just Stop Oil at recent protests. 
They've chained themselves to oil tanker trucks and glued themselves to the pavement. And it feels bloody good. After McGovern glued himself to the mic, he continued talking, using his free hand for emphasis. Lack of action. And to run through his hair. What happened right after he ended the interview? McGovern says they turned off the lights and tried using a lubricant to unglue his hand. He says police arrived 45 minutes later. I was escorted off the premises, still this hand attached to the microphone. And yeah, as I was walking out of the building, it just got straight off and I could hand their microphone back to them. So, first of all... <laughs> If you're going into an interview and you're going to prove a point, it's kind of like chaining yourself to the doors or mm -hmm. doing one of those sit-ins on the top of a skyscraper. Or you could be like, you know, our environment minister and environment minister in Canada and simply uh, climb a premier's house with his wife inside with a Kyoto banner and trespass and still get a job in the government. You could do any of those things. This guy glued himself to the microphone. Now, let's go back to some of the microphone basics. How are microphones attached? In most cases, uh, Brennan, you're the uh, sound guy. How are microphones typically attached? They're attached usually in two different ways, at least. Uh, yeah, like an XLR wire, uh, like attached mm -hmm. to a board. You know, like, yeah, they're patched in. Um, I mean, yep. there's USB mics that. these days. Um, oh, that's there's true. There's wireless um mm, true yeah. there's a, usually a clip yeah right that it sits in or a bolt that holds it on yeah yeah so if this guy was going to really prove a point and he glued himself to the microphone all they had to do was turn it off or unplug it and that's it protest over <laughs> it doesn't seem very well thought out now, this guy's been busy over the last few weeks. According to the Metro, Mr. McGovern invaded a soccer match in a protest last week, and he was dragged off the pitch, too. Why would you invite him on? Maybe that's why you invite him on the show is because he was, you know, trying to streak or something. something. Yeah. Well, I do love the reaction of him just going, you've, you've glued yourself to the microphone. It's fantastic. The most British reaction <laughs> to that scenario possible, and it just made it so much better for me um there is this story and every time that streaking comes up it always takes me back to about i think it was 2013 um was at the calgary flames game with the san jose sharks where a guy wanted to streak took all of his clothes off except for his socks left his socks on climbed over the glass at the hockey game dropped down to the ice and he slipped and hit his head and knocked himself out. Naked with socks on. So his streaking Ooh. was, it was right after the second intermission. Um, it's pretty slippery. Turns out from last I recall, he was okay. Um, but he was, um, it was, uh, it was pretty cold. <laughs> Put it that way. This is the Shift Podcast. We're going halfway around the world now to connect to Ukraine in Lviv. Stepan Berko, uh, DeJure Foundation, joins us. Stepan, are you there? Yes, Shane. Hi. 
Welcome back to the program, Stepin. Uh, another week passes by. It's nice to hear your voice. It's always, it's always nice to reconnect and, and find out how you are doing, uh, in Ukraine. Um, wonder if you could, uh, let us know how you're making out there. I mean, for those who haven't, uh, heard you on our show before, um, you are a Ukrainian man and your family has left the country. You have stayed in the country. You are still working and volunteering and helping out. Um, how you doing, bud? I'm doing okay. Uh, so nothing has changed. Uh, working, uh, trying to help the the military. Um, so fr- from the day to day point of view, nothing has changed. But of course, the news are coming from the from the liberated territories, and that has changed how we, uh, how I think all Ukrainians perceive the war. Well, let's talk about that. The news up north, north of Kiev, and the um, the word that has really come out from the UK as well. The UK Ministry of Defense has said just in the last hour or two that Russian troops have now fully withdrawn from northern Ukraine. And some of the maps, you know, they draw those colors on the maps about where the Russians were and now are not. Um, those maps are animations of no Russian forces at all. What are you hearing? Yes, uh, that's what uh, our military is also reporting and our media that Russians have withdrawn from uh, uh, Chernihiv and Kiev and Sumer regions. And now they are concentrated on the eastern part of the uh, the, the uh, of, of the border. So Donbass and Kharkiv regions. Uh, and um, it seems that they will, they are concentrating them uh, and they might attempt also to come back to Kiev, but from the eastern front already. If they How? if they succeed, of course, of course, our yeah. military are doing our best. Yeah, and and doing some amazing things too. There's no denying that. Uh, Stepan, when you look at this this move to the east, um, when you sit down and you you talk to your colleagues and your friends in Lviv being withdrawn from all of this, especially as the conflict goes more to the east side of the country. How do you talk about it with your friends? I mean, what do you say to each other when you know that if these troops are leaving the north, sneaking back into Belarus, going around to the east side of Ukraine through Russia, and likely making a re, uh, re-emergence into that end of the conflict, it's going to get uglier uh, if that's the case. So how do you talk to your friends about that? Uh, first of all, um, I would say that everyone is very proud of the fact that our military managed to uh, defend our capital. Because, you know, capital city is not only the main business and government center, but it's also like a symbol. So uh, the fact that our military managed to do that uh, managed to stop Russians, made them withdraw. This uh, makes us proud of them. But um, as soon as they have withdrawn, we've seen these atrocities uh, in ar- around Kiev, uh, in small towns like Bucha, in Irpin, in Hostomel. And uh, now we're having this uh, uh, feeling of joy, but at the same time, we 
we understand that these atrocities that happened there, they will very likely, they are very likely happening in, uh, in other regions that are occupied by Russians. And that's what, uh, you know, saddens us. And uh, I would say that there's this constant uh, feeling of... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say it's fear. It's not fear. It's like uh, nothing. I mean, you feel like an emptiness inside because you cannot comprehend how people could have done such atrocities. And you understand that there are thousands of other Ukrainians under Russian uh, occupation, probably undergoing same uh, atrocities right while we're talking in other mm -hmm. cities. And this is something that we... We constantly talk about that, but it's uh, really hard to to find words and to find some words to calm ourselves down. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thank you for sharing that part. Uh, I, I, as I wonder what your days look like, um, you have shared with me in the past and with all of us here on the Shift Radio Show that. You know, you, you do try to get together with friends. You do try to spend some time uh, when you can and uh, and say hello. And it must be difficult to not get into those conversations that are um, the negative end of the conversations, the anger, the frustration, as it's so present for you. And at the same time, to speak of the positive things like the troops uh, moving the Russians out of the north. That must be so incredibly difficult for you. So I, I, I truly appreciate um what what you're sharing there in in that particular piece uh Stepan, it was uh, shared today in international news that the u.n security council and russia is suspended from that i know that with policy and advocacy being such an important part of your career um that must inside your organization or or, or with you personally either way that must be a, a big sign because um these acts of against humanity, uh, humanitarian, humanitarian acts and stuff like that. Um, that's a really, really good sign in some ways that the UN finally, you know, I would say grew a spine would be the cliche in English and to, to, to kick them out and suspend them. They only suspended them from the human rights uh, committee of the UN. And uh, to tell you the truth, uh, this uh, has no impact on how Russia can influence the decision-making on the Security Council. Um, so I wouldn't say that this is uh, that the UN has grown a spine. It's just, uh, you know, uh, a symbol. If Russia is committing atrocities against human rights and against humanity, it's just, uh, you know, uh, they cannot be a part of the Human Rights Committee. But in terms of uh, depriving Russia of, uh, you know, any any uh, means of, um, you know, blocking the Security Council decisions to prevent uh, the uh, the war uh, in Ukraine and uh, the new new crimes, this uh, has helped nothing. Unfortunately, the United uh, Nations is, uh, you know, is an organization. That was origin. That was established after the World War II by the uh, by the countries uh, of the the of the, the alliance uh, that um, defeated Germany, and um, uh, the way it is um, 
it is uh, organized. Uh, it, it gives gives these nations, uh, you know, right to uh, have a veto. And uh, although the the UN's uh, the UN Charter says that uh, um, even uh, those permanent members of the Security Council, like Russia, uh, they have to uh, not participate in voting regarding the conflicts that they are taking part in. You know, Russia never um, obeyed any rules, including international charters or, or whatever. So I would say the UN is trying to give a sign that they condemn Russia, but uh, frankly speaking, this will have no influence on how Russia can uh, proceed with its crimes in Ukraine. More sanctions, and I, I, I would, uh, I mean, that's good, but is it enough is always the question as Ukraine asks for more. With more sanctions on the table, um, in Canada, we get our federal budget uh, on Thursday. It just came out. They have pledged more money to uh, for for Ukraine and supplies and all the things. Is the, I mean, the conversations really come down to, you know, tanks and airplanes and, and real heavy um, equipment. There have been drones. There have been stinger missiles. There have been all kinds of missiles and stuff that have come in. What is the um, what is the perspective now? And I ask because it seems to – I'm not there, Stepan. I don't know. I truly don't know. And I would like to see this get shut down so quickly. I mean, on the verge of international escalation – Really, I mean, you see China voting for Russia, India still buying Russia oil at a discount, and all those things that are going on. You know, is is that enough? I mean, Canada's listening to you, Stepan. I mean, our government just pledged another five hundred million dollars. Uh, what else is there? What what else can we do? I mean, Canada's not militarily huge like some other countries are. First of all, I want to once again uh, thank. Canadians and Canadian government for doing so much already. And, uh, you know, your support, your constant decisions, uh, they motivate other NATO countries to support Ukraine because uh, Canada is always one of the countries on the forefront of introducing sanctions and uh, giving some military and, or, and financial aid to Ukraine. So I would say that you are doing your job the best way you could. Uh, and you know you motivate other countries to to follow your example, and that's really good. And if we've seen some signs of uh, uh, you know I would say policy change in in this week when uh, some countries uh, announced that they will uh, provide us with uh, some more serious equipment like UK, Australia, uh, Czech Republic, and um, you know yesterday there was this meeting of. Uh, uh, NATO members in Brussels, and they invited our Minister of Foreign Affairs. And he said that uh, our number one um, topic on the agenda is more weapons. And um, the, the reason why democratic nations have to supply us with more heavy weapons is not because we, Ukraine, uh, you know, I don't know, want to be a huge military power, uh, or want to, you know, defeat Russia just for the sake of it. No, uh, we want to have weapons to liberate our cities and villages 
just same as Bucha and Irpin and Hostomel and other small towns where uh, I would say acts of uh, genocide took place just in order to uh, minimize uh, the the victims of this uh, this incredible war that Russia is doing. So the more weapons we get, uh, the more uh, resistance towards Russian military power we can uh, do, and the quicker we can liberate our towns and uh, I would say stop this war. Because it seems now that the only way to to stop these atrocities from happening is when Ukraine has enough power to regain the territory, liberate the, the, the people, and at the same time, introducing uh, harsh economic sanctions on Russia so that Russia doesn't have enough money to fund this war. These are two key instruments, and I would say that slowly uh, the West is uh, getting to understand that these are two instruments that they have to follow. But, you know, there is also another key uh, element of this equation is time. Uh, if if the, the quicker we uh, the quicker these instruments are uh, implemented, uh, the, 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 the more uh, the earlier this um, this war will end. Stepan Berko is in Lviv. Now, Stepan, I'm going to ask a personal question, but I, I, I'm not quite sure I even want you to answer it with an example of yourself. You're not the only person who's a young dad. Uh, your wife and child are, are have left the country. And I don't want you to necessarily speak to your personal situation. You can if you like. There are many men who are like you that have stayed behind to contribute and work and volunteer and all those things while the, the you know your wife and your, your children have gone away. Is there any way that guys like you are able to reconnect and travel and see your your family, you know, or or is it just keep them as far removed as possible? I, I guess the question really I'm asking is, you know, lifting your spirits and and reconnecting uh, even briefly must be on the minds uh, of young men like you. And and what are the what are the ways that that you're managing to keep your spirits up and, and connect with your family? Um, um, I mean, uh, from legal point of view, there's uh, uh, nearly no option for men to leave the country. The only exception is that when you are uh, helping to move uh, humanitarian aid to Ukraine or uh, getting some equipment for our military. So basically, if you're uh, a driver, or an organizer of some uh, volunteer help, you can cross the border, but only to deliver this aid. So you're not allowed to, uh, you know, stay for months or whatever. Uh, and um, since uh, Ukrainian military is has just launched a third wave of uh, mobilization, uh, I don't think that these rules will change any soon. Uh, that's why when I was thinking about uh, uh, reconnecting with uh, my wife and my kid, uh, we were thinking about uh, you know them uh, crossing the border into Ukraine just for a few days for us to see each other, and then coming back to the safe place they're at. 
this is probably the only option that is available for us. But for now, we are using um, uh, like video calls, like everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, this is this is not uh, enough because you know I cannot uh, hug my kid and my wife. Uh, I cannot. Uh, spend enough time with them because uh, despite uh, the fact that you can see them and you can talk to them, this is not the same, you know, and I think many listeners understand that. But um, to make it uh, more uh, easy for my son, uh, we are, uh, we, we have invented this thing as a video hug. So when we finish our talks, uh, I say, okay, let's video hug. And we are hugging our phones, me and him, to pretend as if we're hugging each other. I think that uh, helps my son to cope with this situation. Oh, it's a beautiful story. Um, I Thank you for sharing that personal piece of you uh, and your time with us, as always, Seven. Um, it's very insightful and open and honest. And uh, thank you for being so clear and allowing us that space to understand what is going on. And um, and the fundraising here hopefully will continue. And we will uh, hopefully see an end to this quickly as Ukraine uh, kicks everybody out. I, maybe I'm naive in, in wishing that maybe Russia will regroup and then just pull out. Wishful thinking, perhaps, but can always hope, I suppose. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. When I learned about this conversation, I was young. I was in Port Alberni. I was uh, living on Vancouver Island is when we started to see the story of Terry Fox. And when I became, you know, be, I'm going to be honest. I mean, through the course of time, you become a young student and, and you, you follow Terry Fox. It's in school. It's in front of you. You become an adult. Life gets busy. You see it on the news and you go, oh, hey, yeah, Terry Fox. And then um, you get a little older and then you start to realize the things that matter and you start to keep it in front of you again. And then I have kids. And then the kids find out about Terry Fox. And then you're impressed. You're like, oh, you guys still learned about Terry Fox. That's so good. And then the kids get older, and so goes this cycle of our lives and everything else. And I'm very excited to bring conversation about Terry Fox to you uh, with um, April 12th being the anniversary of, of the start of, of Terry's, I like to say his work. Um, Fred Fox is with us, Terry's brother, uh, joining us from the West Coast. Hey, Fred. Hey, how, how's it going? Good to be with you. Oh, thank you very much, and and thanks for taking the time um, to talk about this and and to keep this this conversation in front of everybody. It's really exciting, and some exciting things to share about the Terry Fox Foundation where everybody's at. But I think mm -hmm. I just like to open up the the blank canvas, if you will, Fred, and and just uh, share your thoughts about where we are and what you're excited about for this year's work. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny what you, you you mentioned about it, you know, as you became aware of Terry and um, I've had a chance to, uh, for a long time, I would say, um, you know, share Terry's story starting in the late 80s and early 90s. And I was still speaking to students uh, who maybe have witnessed personally Terry running through their community in, in Eastern Canada or uh, maybe through watching on TV. Now I'm visiting schools and seeing parents and, and teachers and obviously students who weren't even born 42 years ago and they're learning about Terry. So, you know, this time of year, it's really special uh, marking the 
42nd anniversary of uh, the start of Terry's Marathon of Hope and uh, launching a, a T-shirt on April 12th. Um, uh, our family worked with Douglas Copeland, a Canadian artist and uh, uh, um, art, art, artist and writer, and uh, we were really excited to do that. Doug's got a bit of a history with Terry and the family over the years and uh, really, really excited about what's um, moving forward with the t-shirt and all the different celebrities that helped are helping us uh, in, in uh, introducing the t-shirt and, and promoting it and encouraging people to participate, register for the Terry Fox run and, uh, and uh, put, uh, purchase the t-shirt. Well, this is exciting. You have had such incredible support from some Canadian celebrities with the T-shirt in photos that have been online with the hashtag I'm not a quitter. And um, it's the support has been amazing. It does go to show of the, uh, you know, the integrity of Terry Mm -hmm. and his work with the Marathon of Hope, plus uh, the I'm not a quitter you know, attitude. I, I still, this is the most remarkable thing about it is I still see the videos in my mind, right? I can still, I remember seeing it on TV. I remember car following and, and, and his run and, and everything. And you can still envision that as a Canadian and to see these young celebrities today embrace that. Um, also incredibly remarkable. It's hard to believe it's been 42 years. So let's just get started right with the t-shirt and the, uh, the I'm not a quitter t-shirt that's coming up. This is a really exciting way, I think, to involve everybody from old guys like me to the younger generations of, of kids in, in the way that they communicate with celebrities and online. Yeah, you know, it, it is amazing to have the, you know, the celebrities, uh, young and older, um, more my vintage, some of them, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> promoting the uh, uh, the T-shirt and 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 doing that. It's, uh, you know, Doug found this photo on the shirt that none of us have ever seen before, and we don't know where it's from. Normally, when you see a photo of Terry, he's like you mentioned, he, he's running, like in the videos that you've seen, he's ter- Terry's running. You see that effort, that uh, commitment that he's making. The the photo on the T-shirt this year, we're, we're assuming it might be a a, a student card uh, photo from up here at Simon Fraser University, maybe uh, uh, something he had to get taken for playing wheelchair basketball. Um, before he started the Marathon of Hope. So it's really exciting to see these celebrities have come on board, uh, all inspired by Terry. Um, you know, Sidney Crosby, who uh, has a has a print of Terry in his home, um, inspired by Terry every day. Oh, and uh, so it's a re- really amazing to, to see them involved. Uh, and it's a very youthful photo. It's the neat part. There's two things about the thing, the photo that gets me. We often think of uh, Terry and the photo with uh, his one healthy leg and his other leg. We think of that. That's how we see this. This picture is different because it's kind of a youthful, like you said, the ID card kind of look to it. It yeah. it presents itself as as uh, Terry Terry the guy. It doesn't necessarily put the the health image into it i find that unique and exciting because it presents it it presents it differently it really brings out a a connection to this is just a guy right i mean to me it seems like this is just your brother we hold terry in this very special place for all of the amazing things that he did for you know the cancer research plus canadians plus inspiration all of it but when you change the photo it really connects to like oh that's a 
dude. Like that's a real guy. And I think that I learned that when I saw these photos a couple of weeks ago for the first time, I had a completely different experience of what is Terry Fox. Yeah, it, it, you know, I think you're right with when it comes to how how young Terry looks in this photo, and it's something I've always said in my visits to schools. You know, we have nine thousand uh, schools across Canada participate in their own Terry Fox runs, raise money every year for cancer research, and kids have this an, an amazing connection to Terry. And I think it's because Terry never gets older. He, he's still that twenty one year old kid, looks young. You know, even if he's, you know, in an image of, of him running down the down the highway or something else, he's still this 21 year old kid that kids can connect to and, and aspire to and, and um, learn that Terry wasn't the best athlete, not the, the fastest or smartest kid in class. He was just a, like you said, an ordinary, ordinary dude. And uh, he had to he had to work hard at everything he got. And I think mean, the photo kind of gives that as well. He's just this kid with a really curly hair and, and, uh, <laughs> there you go. Freckles. Um, so tell, tell me about the t-shirt specifics. Let's get into the business part of what this is to make sure that everyone has access to the t-shirts, uh, still a few days away, uh, coming up in, uh, April 12th, I think is the date of the t-shirt being available. Yeah. So go buy fundraise, create awareness. Tell us about all the intention around the t-shirt. Yeah, for sure. Again, you know, we, in the last few years, we've really uh, made an effort to launch our, um, new campaign, the Terry Fox Run campaign on April 12th. That's when Terry started his Marathon of Hope. Um, so we kind of open our website, allow people to register for the Terry Fox Run. And uh, um, so this year we decided to throw the T-shirt in there and, and you know, bring somebody on like Doug, Douglas Copeland, who who is um, inspired by Terry himself. And, and Ter- Doug wrote a book uh, uh, in 2005 as part of the 25th anniversary titled Terry. And uh, if you've ever been to Vancouver to BC Place Stadium, uh, Terry Fox Plaza, there's four statues there that, uh, uh, you know, memorial that Doug created. So, you know, the T-shirt is just part of that whole getting, bringing people aware of Terry again in April, uh, April 12th, and getting them to register for the Terry Fox Run, uh, make a donation, start collecting pledges, just just to be aware that the run is coming. And, you know, again, Doug's whole idea with the T-shirt was to, to show, you know, the photo doesn't show it so much, but we all know that Terry had that perseverance, that uh, never quitter, uh, never quit attitude. Yeah, I'm not a quitter is the hashtag for everyone to check it out online as well. April 12th was when the Marathon of Hope started, the date the t-shirts become available. Uh, Fred Fox, Terry Fox's brother, um, you know, you've invested so much of your life and time in keeping the um, the spirit of all things Terry in front of Canadians. Remarkable job. These numbers, though, Fred, I mean, these the numbers now of the fundraised. They've always been staggering. The last one I read, and um, depends on where you read it, of course, because it's sort of different updates in time, was $850 million fundraised. I mean, you're tiptoeing very quickly now because it seems to uh, grow exponentially year over year as well, that you're you're tiptoeing to a billion with a B dollars um, that has been fundraised, inspired by the work of your brother. That's you, Looking in the mirror from time to time, you must just stop and go, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's just Terry started with a, a simple uh, goal of maybe raising a million dollars when he left St. John's. And um, he 
got to Port of Basque where you catch the ferry to get to Nova Scotia and Port of Basque raised $10,000. The population, the community at the time in 1980 was around 10,000 people. And Terry said, well, if they can raise a dollar for every person, why not do that in Canada? And that became his new goal, about 24 million people in, in Canada. And and what's been raised to date is, um, you know, it's, you know, sure, our family's involved, the Terry Fox Foundation staff is involved, but it's Canadians, it's volunteers, it's donors, it's uh, supporters who have, have made that happen. And more importantly to Terry is not so much the number, the $850 million, it's the impact. It's the impact of the research. Terry wanted to make a difference. He wanted to impact uh, cancer research. He, When he was going through his chemotherapy treatments, he was so emotionally personally impacted by what he saw in others uh how what they were dealing with and he would be so proud to know that so many people not only here in canada but around the world have contributed to to research and made a difference in the lives of so many people and that's all terry wanted to do now you put it into context some of the numbers i had read was um the about 1.7 million dollars um raised originally with the Marathon of Hope, translated to today's dollars, about $5 million bucks, which is a staggering amount of fundraising. And on top of that, look how far it's come. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, amazingly cool. How old were you, Fred, when the Marathon of Hope was on? Yeah, Terry and I are only 14 months apart in age. I'm the older brother. So uh, I was 22 when Terry was um, running the Marathon of Hope. So what do you remember from your time watching your your baby bro do this stuff back then? I mean, that must be uh, an incredible perspective. Yeah, you know, and right now we're reflecting actually, um, you know, 42 years ago today, Terry uh, and his good friend Doug Allward left for Newfoundland. It, 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 you know, they left Vancouver uh, Airport. I remember mom and dad, Daryl, Judy, my brother and sister, uh, Doug Allward's parents being at the airport, sending them off. Nobody really knowing what they were going to, you know, deal with once they got to, uh, to St. John's. It took them two days from Vancouver to get, get to St. John's. They had to make all these little milk runs all right across the country, uh, stayed over in Winnipeg, uh, the first night, then made it, finally got to, uh, um, St. John's, um, you know, and then we watched from afar, watched, you know, that, that's, that Saturday morning when Terry left St. John's, we waited for the CBC News to to show some first video footage of Terry running through through St. John's and followed him all along the way. I finally got an opportunity to run with Terry down University Avenue um, in Toronto when he arrived there. And what a difference from what he experienced going through Newfoundland, very rural, to thousands and thousands of people, 10,000 people at City Hall. Um, it was amazing. We could Terry never could have realized the impact um, that he was having on our country at that point. How how he was inspiring people. Um, a lot a lot of times I when I see video of Terry running in Toronto, especially or even in Northern Ontario when I joined him as well. Whether that it, I, I have those memories anymore, or if it's just a video that I'm seeing. You know, it, it's kind of everything was happening so fast back then that uh, um, you just couldn't keep up. It's so amazing to think, um, you know, how the idea itself must have seemed kind of crazy. Hey, by the way, family, I'm going to go run across Canada, you know, to raise awareness for this because people need to know this is going on. And, you know, parts of you, I'm assuming, please correct me if I'm wrong, must have said, good for you. Go get it done. And other parts of you must go like, you're crazy. You got one leg, man. 
Yeah. And, and, and then look what he did. I mean, it's created all of this and he, you know, he ran and ran and ran and the, the tenacity and, um, and here we are, never give up. So inspiring all these years later. It's just so special, Fred. You know, and the word crazy is exactly what mom used when Terry told her. He, he, mom was the first person that Terry told in our family that that's what his intention was. We, mom and dad, Terry had told mom and dad the reason he was training and running um, with an artificial leg, a leg designed for walking, not for running. He had told them he was going to, he was training to run the Vancouver Marathon. And, you know, Terry and Daryl and Doug and Rick Hansen went up to Prince George and Terry ran a race up there and came back uh, the next day and told mom he was going to run across Canada. And she said, You're, that's a crazy idea. Why don't you run just through BC? And he said, you know, not only people in BC get cancer, people right across the country do. I have to do that. So my, my, my the way of thinking as an older brother, maybe a little naive and not very mature is, you know, I kind of, you know, I saw Terry, set goals for himself uh, all the time we were growing up. And if he said he was going to do something, he usually did it. And uh, uh, my act, my reaction was awesome. Good for you. Uh, see you when you get back. And none of us really knew again, like I said earlier, uh, what, what that marathon of hope was going to be. People like Terry Fox, I find are, they're the people that when we listen back to the old interviews and conversations and we learn from the things they've done, we still get new things um do you find that now i mean you're in front of the messages again and again that that even though when you listen back to some of the old things and 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 see that as we do get the chance every year around the anniversaries of the marathon i hope that you kind of get it you hear some things for the first time and you go yeah that guy like he was even more further ahead than you would have ever thought and you know that conviction that came with um, getting this done, and just the little nuances of the things they say. Do you still find things that your brother said, wrote about, um, shared that that still even today get you? And we go, huh? Yeah. He's that far ahead. Yeah, you know, and especially this time of year, and even during, in, you know, during the things that he might have said, even leading up to the uh, marathon. I hope what. Terry journaled every day during the Marathon of Hope. Every day at the end of the day, before he fell asleep at night after the, his day of running, he would journal. And the first words he wrote in his April 12th journal that evening after running, you know, day one of the Marathon of Hope, the very first thing he wrote was, today is the day it all begins. And I, I think about those words all the time. He could never have imagined what those words 42 years ago would mean today, you know, today is the day it all begins. And, um, you know, I, we refer to Terry in many ways. He was so young, but he was so wise and it cancer impacted him very personally. He, it changed his, he said it changed his life, changed his life for the better because he realized that all the material things that he hoped for at a, as a young teenager or a young adult didn't matter anymore. All that mattered were, um, the lives of other people. And Terry wrote to a friend that he had met at the Canada Games in 1978. Terry wrote to her in 1979 and said, the, you know, I've learned that it doesn't matter what I have. What matters is the answer is to help others. And that's what Terry, Terry thought. And even that's so far before all of this. That's a few years. Yeah. 
It's incredible. April 12th, the uh, Marathon of Hope is the anniversary of the kickstart of that from the East Coast. And April 12th, the T-shirts are Terry Fox's face. Uh, I'm not a quitter is the message. And they're available, a fundraising opportunity, awareness opportunity, and a, an amazing chance to uh, to keep this uh, story of Terry Fox in front of our children. And I, I would go as far to say as a parent, we have a responsibility to keep this story alive. I remember it so fondly from from back in the day. And then, of course, the tragedy at the end of it, which I'm sure and I'm only assuming here that Terry would have probably um, told everybody that, you know, some of these things are inevitable and and it's not a tragedy. Right. Like I uh, I'm sure that that message is there. And um, and yet here we are today. It's hard to believe 42 years later. um, still inspired and we've got to keep that conversation in front of the young generations for for a long time to come fred fox is terry fox's brother it's not hard to find the terry fox foundation anywhere you go looking online and uh, and do that is there anyone else that we haven't acknowledged here fred that we should probably acknowledge just to make sure that we, we we've got everybody because it does take an army of those volunteers to to make sure uh, that these things happen and continue to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and we're always, you know, for us, for the Terry Fox foundation, um, it is our volunteers. Uh, we're very grassroots. We would like to say we're very grassroots and if not for volunteers, um, you know, through the past 41 years of the Terry Fox run, we wouldn't be where we are today. Uh, I mean, I was reading Terry's journal entry from, uh, uh, April 9th, and he, he was even in that day acknowledging all the volunteers that were there in St. John's uh, to give him that kickoff right off the bat and and and, uh, and along the way. So uh, volunteers are so important to this organization, uh, the fundraisers, of course, as well. So, yeah. Well, you can see it at uh, terryfox.org, right on the page there, the landing page, there is learn more about the T-shirt. It's a limited edition Terry Fox run shirt. Um uh, I'm not a quitter. Nobody's ever going to call me a quitter is the quote that's right there. And, you know, the photos I have, Sidney Crosby and Michael Buble and so many more um, listed right there uh, in support of this. So get on it. Fred, it's a real pleasure to meet you, man. I uh, Hearing the stories from your perspective is is really neat for a guy like me who is a young elementary student uh, who watched this uh, happen from, you know, school, McQuinnah School in Port Alberni, B.C., and then for me to be able to be um, invited to participate in sharing the message all these years later is a real privilege for me. So it, it comes full circle a generation later. And uh, I thank you for sharing time today. Well, thank you for um, allowing me to chat about Terry a little bit. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 